Hello, and welcome to the podcast by Future Observatory, the Design Museum's research program supporting the green transition. I'm Justin McGurk, the director of Future Observatory. And I'm Sher Potter, Future Observatory's curatorial director. In this podcast, we'll be introducing you to design researchers who've put issues of climate and the environment at the heart of their practice. These researchers work across a range of disciplines, but all of their investigations have major implications for how we design the world. This episode looks at how an ancient building material, stone, could be one of the keys to reducing the construction industry's carbon footprint. According to the World Economic Forum, the global building floor space is expected to double by 2060. Yes, and the building environment already has a huge carbon footprint, responsible for 39% of global energy-related carbon emissions. And nearly two-thirds of that comes from the energy needed to use buildings once they've been built which is heating, cooling, and power. The remaining 11% of emissions comes from manufacturing building materials like steel, cement, and glass. So one of the major questions we're faced with is, how can you reduce the embodied carbon of building through the materials you use to build it? Well, although concrete is the most consumed material in the world after water, there are, in fact, viable alternatives. I went to meet Amin Taha, a London-based architect and chairperson of group work. Through the work at his practice and university teaching, he's trying to revive a way of building that is almost lost in this country. I have to come up once a day to uh, water the bees, give them water to drink, water the pots, um, uh, and then, you know, once a month to do some weeding. So, yeah, yeah, you you get to ponder the skyline. Amin Taha is showing me around his garden. It's a small paradise of trees, grasses, flowers, and a beehive. But unlike a normal garden, it's on the roof of a five-story building with views across London. So we're looking at the skyline here and we can see towers on the South Bank, we can see the Shard, beyond St. Paul's Cathedral. To our left is the city, and in front of that, the Barbican Towers. And then, relatively low-rise Clerkenwell around us. This is 15 Clerkenwell Close. Amin designed the building and lives with his family in the top-floor apartment. His architecture practice is in the basement. Everything has been built with sustainability in mind. Uh, What we've done here is use the blue roof to capture all the rainfall, leave it on the roof, so the roof garden then has some water to, to, to drink, as it were. It's beautiful and deceptive. You don't feel like you're on the top of a, what, are, what is this, a five-storey building? If you look at all the other flat roofs around us, imagine if they all had exactly the same level of trees and other plants. It'd be effectively a biodiverse forest across the rooftops of London. Of course, we're not here to talk about your garden, I mean. We're standing on top of a building that was controversial and was certainly painful for you personally because you're trying to do something different. What were you trying to do? We're asking the question, can you make a building out of stone? Out of stone as we had done for millennia until the last hundred years where we've predominantly made everything out of steel and concrete. And we quickly realised working with structural engineers and stonemasons that of course you can, it's still possible. So what you're looking at, Clerkenwell Close, and we're standing on the roof of Clerkenwell Close, is a building that was made 
almost exactly as it would have been done over the last several millennia. Stone upon stone upon stone is what you see from the street. So that is the architecture, but it's also the superstructure that's holding the whole building up. Most of a building's carbon is in the structure because it tends to be where the concrete and reinforcing steel are concentrated. Amin is using stone as a low-carbon alternative, which doesn't sound controversial, but in this case, the structure is also the facade. And because of how the stone was cut, it had a slightly rough quality and it had exposed fossils, and the local council didn't like the way it looked. They ordered it to be demolished. So ultimately, the controversy was a particular councillor thought we should know precisely where every single shell and finish on a building ought to be. And if we don't, then surely it can't possibly have planning approval. Eventually we had to appeal that thought process and we won that appeal. With all of that behind him, and Amin's home and offices safe from the wrecking ball, he can concentrate on the future and his passion, reviving the use of stone as a building material. So the question for us is, it's an ethical one, it's not just aesthetic. Aesthetic is almost the result of your various ethical starting points. Supposing you have an embodied carbon argument. Well, maybe you scratch your head and ask, do I actually need to build this in steel and concrete? Why can't I build it out of stone instead of cladding a steel frame and concrete frame in stone? What is the embodied carbon of stone? Well, as it happens, stone has zero embodied carbon. It's made for you several hundred million years ago in the ground. The only energy you're burning is cutting it, transporting it, erecting it on site. And even if you use diesel equipment to do that, it's a fraction. It's 49 kilograms per cubic meter of stone compared to 16,000 kilograms per cubic meter of mild steel. It's clearly an advantage to make it in stone and reduce the amount of steel on concrete as much as possible. There's a problem with the construction industry, and that is that we know that the built environment accounts for nearly 40% of all carbon emissions. The vast majority of buildings in London, say, are built with steel and concrete. These incredibly carbon-intensive materials. Humankind is consuming more concrete than any other material apart from water. So we know that we need to change the construction industry drastically in the next 10 years. Why stone? Stone is fairly abundant. Its embodied carbon is um, a fraction of steel and concrete. Concrete, think about concrete. Where does it come from? Concrete is actually a limestone. The same limestone quarry that supplies blocks of limestone for construction, that will provide blocks of limestone to be taken to a cement factory where they burn energy to crush it into powder, then burn it at 1600 degrees centigrade, mix it with chemicals, now, if you make a cubic metre of cement out of that and compare it to a cubic metre of limestone, the cement block has 40% of the strength of the limestone block. Oh dear, well, what do we do now? Well, we have to put some steel in it to reinforce it. So reinforced concrete is there to provide the strength that stone could provide. You might ask yourself, well, how on earth did we ever get into this situation? Well, inevitably, we weren't thinking about embodied carbon 100 years ago not even 30 or 40 years ago to that level. So just by um, having vast amounts of cement plants all over the world, that volume of production has brought the price of cement down, that it's one of the cheapest ways of building. So our question was, can you substitute a cement and steel with stone 
and bring down the cost as well as the embodied carbon because ultimately that's the, f the final test to it. Even if we bring the body carbon down to an absolute fraction, will people buy into it because it's maybe the equivalent of a luxury product and no one wants to, could afford to build with it? Well, it's all about how you build with it, keeping the amount of processing as low as possible, maintaining a low price, and that's what we've discovered. It's not just stone that Amin Taha wants to revive. You can also bring down the carbon footprint of construction by using timber, which would in turn incentivize the planting of more forests. Make buildings out of timber and stone. You, you, they are the final finishes. They are the structure and the final finishes to your building. And in combined, you can bring down the construction cost by about 20-25%. The construction industry needs to do that. And as long as a building's standing there, that carbon is locked in there. Combine stone and timber, you will have a carbon-negative structure. So hypothetically, if we do a thought experiment, we could turn the construction industry around from a contributor to a sequestrating in industry. Can we talk about research? Why does using a material that we've been using for thousands of years require research? Certainly in this country, uh, in the UK, we de-skilled as stonemasons, as quarry masters, but also as architects and engineers. All of us in the UK especially have a very, very little idea how to build in stone or, 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 or timber. Structural engineers aren't even taught how to build in stone in their universities. So we're slowly working with stonemasons and structural engineers, almost autodidactically teaching ourselves how to work with these materials, slowly but surely, per project. But that's not fast enough for Amin. He teaches architecture students at the Royal College of Art, and he and his 14 students are busy testing the limits and possibilities of stone. So we've asked postgraduate students to accelerate that research, because at the moment the research we're undertaking is building by building, one building at a time. So more recently, over the last year, we've asked 14 students to look at all the different typologies of construction out there, from the dare I say, the Taylor Wimpy-type houses out in the countryside, to mid-rise apartment buildings and city centres, to cultural institutes, new museums by the likes of Zaha Hadid, commercial office towers that we can see from here in the city of London, the tallest, tallest office towers in the UK. Can any of these be built in timber and stone? Is it possible? And what technologies do we need? Is it, like Clark and World Close, one stone at a time, cut as large as possible? What we've learned is, first of all, yes, they can all be built in timber and stone. So we've worked with structural engineers, sustainability engineers, cost consultants, and what we've found is all of them can be made in timber and stone and be cheaper still and have carbon-negative superstructures and internal fit-outs. However, we've then demonstrated, yes, that it's all possible, cheaper, it's greener, it's also faster. You're running a major practice here. How do you do research alongside the demands of, of running a practice and building buildings? Arguably, what a lot of lay people might not realise is that architects on all buildings are effectively researching. Almost all buildings are unique. How do you find a positive result out of that within the time you've got to actually put a building up when a client comes to you? Well, you try and do it within exactly the same period. And what you do is you focus the arguments with all the other design team members around that table. You say, well, supposing instead of conventionally opting for a steel frame, we try to make it out of stone, 
to this meeting. I brought a stonemason who might be able to help us with that argument. Let's grill him with as many questions as we've got. And by the end of that hour or two, we've come up with probably more questions and we'll start another round of that. And we keep that going with all the other supplies, the timber supplies, the stone supplies, all the other people. And slowly, at the end of that uh, iteration process that we would have normally had with any conventional project, we come to a series of new resolutions that keep the scheme within the program that otherwise would have happened with conventional results. Building on that, though, is that teaching that we do. So we then ask those postgraduate students to help with that research. And they're there to spend 100% of their time working with all those design team members and their suppliers to say, what if I had this type of building or that type of building? So we're accelerating that research that we would otherwise do one building at a time by doing it within universities. We know about the enormous problems of steel and concrete and we've come to know them as extractive materials and there's increasingly a movement within architecture uh, towards non-extractive design methods and materials. Stone is obviously an extractive material. What would you say to those critics? A stone quarry is a stone quarry. Uh, You're you're extracting it from a, a hole in the ground as it were, making a bigger hole. Now, to make cement, it's exactly the same, same stone quarry. It's a limestone quarry. So that's just one quarry to make the cement. Oh dear, no, actually it turns out you need several more quarries because cement is mixed with a number of chemicals that need quarrying. It also needs sharp sand, which is not sand from a beach. It's also from a quarry. It needs aggregate, which is not pebbles from a beach, but also from a quarry. So actually making cement alone for concrete involves far more quarries than just a stone quarry. Furthermore, you have to reinforce that cement to make reinforced concrete. And that brings us to steel. Well, steel is made from iron ore. You have to dig up the iron ore. Well, it's not just iron ore, is it? You have to get coking coal. And then you need at least nine other elements to help you make good, mild steel that we need for the construction industry. So you have around about nine quarries for mild steel, and you have at least three or four to make concrete. Obviously, for reinforced concrete, you add those quarries together. For stone, you just have one quarry. We're often asked, well, supposing we um, carry on quarrying in stone, surely we'll run out of stone. We just have to look at a cross-section of planet Earth. We're sitting on liquid magma, which is liquid stone. The several miles thick of crust is effectively cooled down magma. We're never going to run out of stone. The day we run out of stone is that we've removed the entire crust somehow and we're sitting on magma. If we're going to take the climate crisis as seriously as we need to, it might not be as simple as replacing one or two materials with another. Maybe there are things that we simply shouldn't be building anymore. What would your position be on that? That's, that's exactly the question that we uh, pose the students because we had it ourselves. We thought, well, perhaps the, the only way is then to build very, very simply in, in what's called trabeated structure, one block on top of the other, uh, and nothing overly dramatic, no curves, no wonderful forms can ever, can ever be built again. So we posed it to students because we do not have a project in the office that could test that to research that. And the first thing we found was it is possible. You can build the most fantastic Gary-esque Zaha forms. And remember, I used to work at Zaha, so um, I I have form, as it were, in doing so. We tested all those, and we realized, of course, you can build in stone. 
do we use different materials? Do we stop using perspex and carbon-heavy materials? Well, I would suggest we don't. I'm not saying that we uh, carry, carry on using them in the same quantity. Our argument is that you stand back and just take your time about what materials you're using for your structure. Can you substitute them? More carefully select those materials to make sure that you're getting as low in your embodied carbon as possible, if not negative. And then, of course, you can add other materials that are carbon heavy, as long as you're not then raising it back up to what it is currently, the sort of ill-thought-through conventional ways of building. How drastic a shift does the construction industry need to make, and how quickly? Um, well, I mean, it is drastic, isn't it? We all know it's drastic. Um, how quickly can it make it? it? In my opinion, it could happen overnight. We've got plenty of platforms online. There are architectural magazines that everybody gets every week online every single day. All architects read them. Structural engineers read their various uh, journals as well. This is just consultants who help initially establish the design principles. It doesn't take a lot of effort to educate everybody in how to build in low embodied carbon materials. The next step is obviously making sure the buildings are well insulated. You use as little energy as you can to heat and maintain your building and then reuse materials at the end of that. Then you hit the actual construction industry that makes these um, buildings. Well, even the contractors might be persuaded, but they might turn around to you and say, well, I have 30 cement suppliers in various locations around London that can supply me any day of the week at a, a competitive price. Where are 30 quarries or stone suppliers? Well, they exist in the UK, but at the moment, because we've de-skilled them and the demand isn't there, they tend to be offering uh, stone either as aggregate or as a luxury product. They're not supplying it as just a general, relatively inexpensive commodity like bricks or cement. So we've asked the question. We've gone all the way to the suppliers and said, can you? supply stone as cheap as bricks. No one's ever asked us that before, they say. Our quarries are vast. Of course we can supply it if the demand is there. And every day we see journals proudly proclaiming how architects and developers have just got planning for another 9,000 homes, all in brick and concrete. And I know these architects, and you have conversations with them, and you say, can't you suggest they're made of CLT and stone? <gasps> How can I do that? I mean, everybody loves brick. Tell them they'll get brick. Don't tell them the brick is made of stone. Is that possible, I mean? Well, you need to start, don't we? So we can do it. The demand has to be there, though. The quarries are ready to supply it. You can be pessimistic. You can sit there and watch all these journals constantly telling us new, new concrete and steel frame buildings going up with brick. And we're not changing that. And we're calling that modern and contemporary, but we're just adding to the problem. If you can make that in timber and stone, you've sorted the problem. You've made carbon negative. You build more to save the planet, as it were. But you just need to be able to persuade everybody to do it. Get that demand to those quarries and we'll be there. Amin is one of many thinkers today challenging notions of progress and arguing that we have to rediscover ancient forms of building craftsmanship and know-how that we've lost touch with facilitated by cutting-edge machinery and software. Mm, that's what I'm struck by, that reinforced concrete is so emblematic of modernity, which was, of course, defined by efficiency and new materials, 
but energy and carbon emissions simply weren't a problem for the modernists. And today we have to start to think completely differently about efficiency. Yes, yeah, so it's not that Emin and others are suggesting a new paradigm after modernism, but in a way they're rediscovering an old paradigm of natural materials and building techniques that simply have a lower carbon impact. Well, that's it for this episode of Future Observatory's podcast. Don't forget to sign up to our monthly newsletter at futureobservatory.org, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is supported by the Arts and Humanities Research Council, part of UK Research and Innovation, and the Design Museum. The producers are Marie Keyworth and Sarah Trina, and the music is by Takahisa Mitsumori.